All right. So I wanted to have a little public service announcement and kind of explain what the heck's been going on and apologize for the absence from the airwaves with Talking Cloud Podcast. So uh, without going through all of the gory details, suffice to say that we uh, switched to a new format at the beginning of the year and it maybe I, we were a bit overzealous, uh, both I and my then co-host. Unfortunately, the way things have went, you know, with careers and life, uh, we've kind of fallen off the edge. And subsequently, I've learned that my co-host is not able to continue with me. So... This is to let everyone know I'm going to return to the original format that I had for a couple of years, which was audio only. I may dabble in video, uh, but I'm going to really focus on doing what I had done before, and that was having guests to talk about cloud and cloud computing and I'm going to go back to that original one-on-one, mono-we-mono format. So uh, that explains what's been going on. My apologies for being absent for the last several, I don't know, weeks, even months, maybe. I've been very busy with CISO Secrets, and so I hope you listen to CISO Secrets And I'm going to do my very best to get back on a regular cadence with Talking Cloud. So for anybody that wants to be a guest on Talking Cloud, to talk about cloud, cloud computing, anything and everything and all things cloud, please contact me. We'd love to have you on the program. And thank you so much for your understanding. And now... We're going to get on with the program. In fact, I have three episodes that we recorded and didn't get published. So you're going to hear those three, and then I'm going to be on the hunt to find more guests for upcoming programs. So here's the third, and we'll look forward to having you back on the next episode of Talking Cloud. Man, it is so great to see you. Ladies and gentlemen, I have to introduce and tell just a brief story. So I spoke at a cybersecurity summit in Nashville, and I think everyone can kind of relate with this. We go through life, and in life, we meet people all the time. And there are varying levels of... I don't know, Patrick, what do you call it? You know, I mean, it's charisma, it's energy. Yeah, something. It's, I don't it's know. positiveness, it's aura. You know, I don't know what it is, right? But but Ido came walking up to our booth, and I was there, and he was looking uh, similar to how he is now, sharp executive. And, 
there was just an energy that kind of attracted to us, I think. And it's, yeah, it's really, it's funny, man, because now it's only been, you know, it hasn't been a, a whole long time, but I got a friend and we've, we've just connected. And so awesome. um, I, I wanted to have him on the program, uh, especially in light of the really cool stuff that uh, you may have seen him posting uh, but let me give him a proper introduction. And, you know, yes. I, I'm going to start out by saying the guy's a certified, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a diplomaed coach, so he could actually interact with professional basketball teams. So that's just a starting point. Okay. Uh, deep, deep, deep in business intelligence, in data intelligence. I mean, he's got he's got a longer history and career and experience in that vein than anyone I've ever seen in my life. I was looking through his LinkedIn profile. Today, he's, uh, after spending, I think, about four years as uh, the chief information security officer at an airline, anybody who's ever flown to the Middle East knows El Al, he's now executive vice president Chief Information Officer, as well as Chief Data Officer at Delec US, which is a very, uh, I would say, progressive, innovative, uh, amazing energy company. I'll let Ido talk about it. I mean, I was just marveling at that 500 gigabytes of data getting moved around in 3D. That was, was really cool. We'll talk about that. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thrilled to introduce you to uh, my friend and uh, uh, executive in the cyberspace, Ido Bigger. Ido, I want to introduce you also to my co-host, Patrick Pusher. Uh, he's the guy who can go deep in the cave with you if you need to. Me, I'm just the Gilligan up here on the surface. But uh, hey, I'm so happy to have you here, man. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me and everything you said about yourself and our relationship is absolutely correct. I don't know about all the compliments that you just gave me and I mm. love your background, both of you. Ah, uh, thank so, you. And once again, you are a great person. Thanks for having me here. As you mentioned, DelicUS is uh, actually it was Fortune 500 company. Today I checked and it's the Fortune 200 company. So oh, we uh, grew uh, just a bit and it's an old wow. Uh, now, you, yeah. you, you're in Israel. No, I'm not. I'm no, 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 no. You, I know you're not now. You're in Nashville, but you were in Israel. You were, and then the, if I remember the story right, you, who's your boss came yeah. and he said, hey, I want you to come along with me. And clearly, if you used to be Fortune 500, now you're Fortune 200, you guys must be doing something right. I didn't mean to interrupt uh, uh, sure. you telling the story, but I mean, that's, uh, I want to just add that, that global move. Uh, yeah. yeah. So by the way, it's, uh, it's my second relocation to the US. The first one was the, the financial industry in New York. We used to live in Jersey. Mm. It was in 2016, I think. Uh, so yeah, many years in the industry, mainly around data analytics field, big data teams, uh, data science teams. And through several uh, pillars or several industries, so telco, retail, uh, aviation, as you mentioned, financial services, lots of uh, interesting uh, 12 years as professional services as well. So it allowed me to kind of be very much exposed to different markets and different solutions. 
Uh, as you mentioned, the first uh, significant role after coming back from the States was to be the chief data officer of a large telco company uh, back in Israel. After that being, uh, once again, the chief data officer for El Al, the Israeli Airlines, and then the chief information and data officer for that company. While going through COVID in an airline, it was uh, you know, a significant portion uh, that really allowed us to do uh, some amazing changes as part of the digital transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes uh, you know it out a far better airline today than it was prior to COVID. So I'm very proud of what we did there. But more importantly, my uh, CEO then was very proud of what we did. And and when he came here to be the CEO of Dell QS, you know it was just uh, natural for me to join him and to try and do the kind of the same thing on this uh, very traditional industry, right? The oil and mm-hmm. gas, you don't think about innovation, mm-hmm. you don't think about technology aspects of it, even though it's very highly technological field. Uh, and the downstream business is mainly around, once again, refining. Uh, so we have refineries, two refineries in Texas, one in Louisiana, one in Arkansas, hundreds of trucks, rail carts, pipes, uh, gas stations, uh, whether wholesale or your own, so in convenience stores. Um, Lots of uh, physical assets, mm-hmm. and I think uh, throughout my career, I came across the fact that uh, I really like supporting um, companies, mainly traditional companies, but enabling them technology-wise and allowing them to go through this uh, digital transformation journey. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's been a great journey. And actually, yesterday I celebrated one year in this company, and uh, awesome. uh, we really made this. Wow! Uh, Only one year. Wow! Only one year. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, uh, by the way, it's, it's a whole different U.S. Uh, here in Nashville than in back in New Jersey. Just let me know. And <laughs> for those, I, I don't want to ruin the uh, you know East Coast uh, uh, audience that you have, but this is a far <laughs> better place to live at. Just, just have to mention. Yeah. Well, my, you know, my son graduated. I think I, I told you, you know, uh, from Belmont University in yeah, December. Yeah. Uh, we bought a house in Nashville, I don't know, two years ago, and I, we really enjoy it there and That's totally beautiful. agree with you. Nothing yeah. again, not to throw any shade on the New York, New Jersey folks, yeah. right? But uh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, so, hey, I'm really intrigued to pull on a few things with you and hear your thoughts because when I think about it, business intelligence. Uh, when I think about uh, data um, and I think about your tenure, it, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm an analogy guy. You know that I immediately think I'm going from slide rule to handheld supercomputer. I mean, the, 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 the duration and the change in, you know, business intelligence I mean, you were banging away on spreadsheets sitting on a yeah. computer, right? I mean, and, and, and then working on macros to pull all this. And now I got to believe there was time where data sets couldn't be big enough or you just couldn't wait long enough or, you you know, machines would crash and say we're trying to look at all the different things that now today. Yeah, it's, you talk about that. Yeah. I mean, that 500 gig image that was was uh, on that post when he said that i just i sat back and i thought about moving around 500 gigabytes of data so freely and how 
you know, when I worked for SGI not that long ago, to have that many polygons, that much data, I mean, wow. And it's, it's, and so I want to hear about, you know, that side of it, I guess, and how much the change has enabled you to really do, you know, even cooler things or see data differently, I guess. So, so going back to basics, and, and I fully agree with what you just uh, uh, described because I literally started my career with implementing, it was called the TM1, which is a budget planning tool later on acquired by you know, Cognos and then IBM. Um, but it was actually, the interface was Excel spreadsheets. And, yeah. and so the cubes behind the scenes were, the interface was Excel spreadsheets. So I was mainly writing macros and writing, you know, VB. Uh, to mm-hmm. enable the user interface that later on became kind of BI tools. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, throughout the journey, it was also, it was always about, you know, getting the insights out of the data, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the way of getting there was previously, you know, making the cube out of it, understand the business, so create this cube around the business scenario. And then the cube was actually created in order to not be so dependent on the core database, right? When you are exporting your you know, around desires or querying the database. So they create this kind of cubes to be pre-processed so it would be better performance, etc. So it was all kind of way to overcome the infrastructure um, dependencies and lack of, uh, you know, capabilities. The limitations, right? Yeah, limitations. Yeah. The decision makers down and now the operational acts. And then throughout the year, the, the, the huge involvement either of, you know, the ability to utilize the cloud and, and before that, even to have being empowered by the infrastructure that supported that with the appliances, the different appliances that we use throughout mm-hmm. the years, it made us think differently because going back 10 years, 15 years ago, we only thought about the, you know, one size fits all. So you either chose kind of the Oracle suite or the SQL server suite or IBM suite. So you just chose your own kind of stack of technologies, but it was from the same house. Yeah. Then we got a situation where, according to the business needs and the capabilities that came out with, uh, we create our own kind of puzzle of solutions. And in the telco company, for example, I got to a situation that has five different clouds in order to support different platforms, and it was fully, fully fine, right? I had the, the marketing uh, uh, you know, automation cloud, and then I had uh, um, you know, Amazon cloud to support the IoT needs of the mm-hmm. different set of markets to spread around. I had you know, the Oracle Excel data for my mm. uh, data warehouse needs. Uh, my data science team was working on the um, uh, Amazon cloud in order to get the first insights. But then if you had my brand profile for the type of viewer that he is, I brought it back. So it was all kind of a migration of things in order to get the same thing, the analytics mm-hmm. for the decision making. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest trick that I saw throughout my career was when you got those insights and you embedded them back into the operational system. I think that was the biggest leap when you became an operational BI, right? Mm. When you moved something out of it back to the operational system. Now, mm. I'm, mm. I'm also uh, representing Israel in, in, in the Chief Data Officers Forum in MIT. And the biggest struggle there uh, that was mentioned there many years, for many years is, is the lack of ability for the data officers to really uh, enjoy the power of data because it's just, you know, it's kind of the spotlight for every mm-hmm. issue that transition. But if it's not being addressed on the operational side, nothing really is gonna happen. Right. So 
the conflicts with the CIOs, for example, the conflicts with you know the business leaders that see the outcomes but they don't really do something with it, and how to really construct it to do it constructively in a way that it becomes something useful for the organization to be to be of value, right? Whether to increase mm-hmm. revenue, whether to reduce the cost. And I think only when I got into a situation where I was both CIO and chief data officer, I could really be the one holding both sides of of the rope here. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and created those insights and embedding the capabilities to enjoy the fruits of the insights and, and, and leveraging our infrastructure in a way that was very easy to use, very easy to consume. And then, uh, for example, 80% of the people were never sitting in front of a desktop, right? So everything was about the mobile. So how do we make them mm-hmm. addicted to their mobiles through right. uh, BI platforms? And then... What are you going to do with those insights? If it's just going to stay as, hey, that's that's something interesting. I need to do something. And then you go, no. How do we make it something automatic that from those insights, you embed it back? And it all goes back, once again, to the right infrastructure and the right architecture that allows you either through uh, operational data source or either through uh, you know APIs just to, to, to put it back into the operational system for a significant process that will be relying on that. Yeah. And uh, over there, I think the main idea here is to find the relevant sponsor, business sponsor, that will be accountable for, all right, you're going to do this data project, but I know it will never end in the data products. It will end in the change of the operational piece right. that I'll right. charge. Right, right, right. We should be fixing something or bringing some sort of new value at the end of this process. That makes that makes total sense to me. But as you're speaking, you know, I wonder, and, and you mentioned kind of a trend, right? Moving from these big monolithic stacks to almost kind of build your own out of best of breed. Um, yeah. I'm wondering though, especially if you're not a product company, you know, at least a, a digital product company, how complicated does it get when, you know, you've got five data science platforms you really rely on, how complicated does the security of each of those become, right? When you've got specialists who know AWS, you've got those who maybe know, you know, Snowflake, you've got others. How how, how much of a challenge is that for an organization? First of all, it is a challenge. Um, I think the one of the biggest advantage once having a data officer is the ability to have one address for your data needs of the organization, right? It doesn't mm. mean, for example, that I manage all the analysts of the company. No, 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 not at all. They had their own kind of capabilities, uh, you know, responsibilities, and they were dotted to me in many, many ways, that those different teams, but we were all, you know, working on the same standards. And that's mm. significantly important. When I came to the airline, for example, I saw so many good ideas and good implementations, but they were mm-hmm. totally disconnected from one another. So even business-wise, it, I had no clue of how to get into a certain, you know, addressing a certain problem. Mm. For example, um, you know, um, late late flights, right? You know this phenomenon, right? Sometimes uh, <laughs> flights get late, uh, and you have to uh, kind of understand what, what caused those delays, right? Sure. And you have so many things that are involved in a flight, mm. the maintenance teams, and you have the customer service, and you have the customers themselves. And you have, you know, the, the crew, right? So it was pretty much like 14 different sources that were needed in order to understand the full picture. By the way, you have weather, you have constraints, you have, you mm. know, uh, many, many things, different airports, Lots, sometimes yeah. they're issuing in the airport. And in order to have this, they were kind of working in so many silos that only when you came, so I'm, I'm, once again, I will get to the security portion of it. 
But once you're going to get everything kind of to be aligned, at least let's get kind of those different pieces into our hub and analyze it in the same standard, but from, from different angles and not investigate it separately and then try to get to a summarized uh, view. So the same thing goes with security, right? If you keep the same standard, the same tools, the same data hub, then you need to take care of it just once, right? You need to take care of both the data, data governance here, the data management, um, the um, who's approaching what, who's getting access to what, who's, who's um, actually seeing which portion of the data is part of it, uh, and of course, who has access to, uh, to the databases that are uh, uh, considering to, to be part of this solution. So with that in mind, it was a journey that uh, you can divide it into three different uh, layers. The first one is uh, the standardization, right? So using the same tools for the entire analytical units, you can do whatever you want. Let's just all use the same tools. Mm -hmm. uh, so you were mentioning five different data science teams using five different uh, tools. No, I had separate uh, data science teams, but they all use the same tools. Uh, where you all use the same data hub, right? where sometimes you create kind of a, a data set for a certain team, but you know exactly where this data set came from. You know about, it, it allowed me, you know, and Grant, you mentioned before, when you go from different industries, sometimes you learn about capabilities that are relevant for, for each other, right? So I went, when I used to work for the financial industry, one of the biggest issues that we had to address that came from the compliance field there, you know, worked on big data solutions mm -hmm. for that aspect of, of the banks. So it was all about the data lineage, right? But you can utilize data lineage for so many other aspects of other business and industries as well. It's not just about regulation, it's about understanding each and every one of the pieces of the data, the entire journey that it went through in order to get to the end consumer. So think of it as five different teams that are utilizing the same data hub that you know the lineage of each and every one of the pieces, even if they're creating their own sets and even enriching that in some portion, I did not allow this team to enrich their weather data from whatever weather.com and this data to take it from uh, whatever a different site if we're if we're getting weather data into the organization it's going to be from one source it's going right. to be controlled in one way so we all going to enjoy by the way same language right same numbers because sometimes you have different temperatures even in different two sites i'm just saying let's make sure we're working in the same standard and it helps do so many things mm. Efficiency mm. as well, right? Mm. I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this, and I'm just true confessions. Yeah, I think, I don't think, I know there's so many bits of data that have an influence, that have an impact, that, you know. We just, I, I'll, I'll admit, I'll sometimes gloss over and not even really consider just the mere fact that when you have an organization that seeks out to get traffic data, weather data, whatever, right? Two separate teams, maybe same company, two, two separate teams. And the value it provides when we're talking about data now that's all digital Right. It's not like they're getting a report handed to them from someone on yeah. paper. Right. That's to 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 look into an organization holistically. There's some real value there. I can give you an example, Grant. You know, uh, we're in the own gas industry. Of course, we are dealing with trading. Right. A lot of trading yeah. around the own gas. So we had many, many different teams using the same service 
right? But separately. That means let's take an example, I don't know, Bloomberg, right? We have five right. different teams taking data from ICE or from Bloomberg. Sure. But at least let's mm. enjoy it as an application. Take it once. So all of you can work simultaneously. And I will take care of it being a real-time service. You can all enjoy it for your own needs. That would sound so simple, but it's not. Oh, right? it's no, not. it's... I, well, the weather thing to me, yeah. you know, talk about trivial, but so significant because, you know, I have two weather apps on my phone and I'll often yeah. kind of compare how the two are looking at the weather in Nashville or wherever I might be traveling and they're never identical. And yeah. so just, they're mm. close, but they're never identical. Right. And in the world of data and analytics and business intelligence, when you have even slight differences in the source data, you're in trouble, right? And I mean, it causes that. a problem. Yeah, and not only that, Grant, you know, think of Texas right now as we speak, right? In the hundreds for, I think, 40 consecutive days, yes. San Antonio has been over 100, right? You right. Have so many implications of that. And by the way, you can see it all over the news. But so it doesn't really make, I mean, makes a huge difference if it's 106 or 107. But if you work as an organization and you have, 10 different teams that are using weather data. If they're using 106 or 107, just reflects different numbers. And it has, you know, implications on other calculations and then another calculation, and then things will break up of that. And then you have discrepancies in the data within the same company just because yeah. they use the different source. It's so the lineage you were talking yeah. about. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. If you use the same sources just to have the one language. Yeah. Those, so those are back to the simple things. It's not kind of the high-end things that we do here, but mm -hmm. you can never talk about the high-end. You can never treat, you know, take care of your penthouse without having the best fundamentals first, right? Yeah, so, of course. So, of course. So, but, but you cannot just focus on the fundamentals without planning ahead the penthouse and, and, and building the right things in order to get there. So I think yeah. it's, it's a great journey to have as part of the data literacy program when you talk to people and you make sure they have the right tools and capabilities and trainings to utilize data the right way on mm. top of being able to provide them with the right data platforms to really utilize and make something useful out of that. So you are you have to control all both, you know, both sides of, of the equation here. Otherwise you just mm. they're gonna utilize data in a in a great way, but it's gonna be garbage in, garbage out. Or they're gonna have the best data in the world, but they would have no idea how to use it and how to utilize that um, yeah. for their needs. I wonder, you know, when you centrally um, standardized like that, there's always going to be a party that likes the decision you made and one that doesn't, right? How do you, how do you pr uh, prove to the organization that, that that's, you know, that, that there's value in that standardization? Is it sort of a, um, you know, start and, and let the value sort of speak for itself? Or, you know, how do you, how do you sell that standardization will mean lots of productivity gains in the future? So you have touched it. That, that's the kind of the secret sauce, but I will share it with you because I like Grant very much. So, <laughs> The main idea here is not to fight your customers, right? It's to, it's to show value. So if, you have, if you're working with five different BUs, for example, and two of them are kind of more cooperative and three of them are not, start showing value and prove value through those two. Definitely. If the other three will see those two are becoming more and more successful because of the, their cooperation, trust me, they will come as well. It's very important to have, first of all, the back of your CEO you know, kind of supporting it and showing, sure. hey, I brought this guy because he's going to make it to, to go to here and here and here. It's, it's very helpful. But let's say I didn't have this kind of strong back. 
in like previous companies. And you can go and just prove yourself every day. Every day, make some improvement in the business unit that you're working with. And if it's going to be on a weekly basis, even a monthly basis, but it's something proven, not something that uh, you tell stories, something that the BU leader is actually saying, yeah, we have saved $2 million here. We have increased uh, four, $400,000 in this use case. The others are not going to do you a favor of working with you. They're going to do themselves a favor because they want to be successful as well. So definitely by proving the value and don't fight your enemies. They will become your biggest friends. Once they, they, they'll become, it's all about what's in it for me. As, as long as they see that it's for them, it will be useful to work with you, it will just happen. So I, I'm not fighting those battles. I, I try to never get into a kind of a fight that says, let me prove you wrong. It will never prove me wrong, right? So, or her. Let, mm -hmm. let me just prove the value by him or her wanting to work with you. And it sounds like... Sure. Your approach, Ido, uh, is, uh, you know, it's it's the, I mean, it's the old adage that you're not going in with a hammer, you know. Yep. You're, yeah, you're yeah. in in fact, uh, you're saying I'm gonna uh, if okay, you don't have to work with me. I'm gonna work with these guys, and then they see the progress and benefits that's occurring, and then they want to be a part of it, right? I yeah. mean, that, that, that's, I think, a, because I think when you get dictatorial, that's when you get pushback, right? When, when you know, if any of you, if you try this sometime, it's really interesting. Walk up to someone, you know, uh, and say, hey, put your hand up and they'll put their hand up. And then you put your hand up right on their hand and then start to push. And I will almost guarantee you yeah, they'll push back. Push back. Of course. And, and it's that human nature of, wait, I'm not going to give you any, I'm going to push back. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It, it, it's just, you know, obviously metaphorically I, uh, I, what happens in business, right? I if I'm going to come in and push yeah. you, you're going to push back. But if I am dancing and singing and, and people are dancing and singing with me, I want to dance and sing. <laughs> you know, I, it's... I think it's, right. a, it's a lesson in motivation, right? I mean, I, I would rather have motivation, your motivation coming from the will to succeed rather than to prove somewhere else wrong. Or to yes. prove that you're right. I think, it's, it, I think it's, right. it's from a more pure... And let me give you an example, right? From, from my day-to-day -day routines. We have uh, started this digital transformation journey. Uh, and I read a lot about, uh, you know, the digital transformation journeys of other oil and gas companies. Now, a lot of... They talk, there's a lot of money in this industry, and, and a lot of money was invested in, in tech versions of the oil and gas companies. And a lot of them have failed before, and we were asking ourselves why, right? Because we're not the smartest in the room, we're not the smartest in the industry, there are so many people that are so talented around us. What happened there? It's about change management, but what happened? I think it was about starting too big, right? When you have a $100 million program, pull it into the assets, you're going to be technology experts now. Go, good luck. No. It's, so we started very small, very nimble. Mm. Um, we started with one unit in one refinery. That's mm. it. We have proven value over there. Yeah. using the right digital tools, the right sensors, drones, capabilities, as you saw. Uh, many other things that I cannot elaborate too much on. 
I'm just saying we have proof down here in this small, very, very small version or very small unit within one of our refineries. And then we expanded it to two. And then we expanded yeah. it to four. But when people, mm. the other GMs saw kind of the value that is being created, mm. they say, yeah, you know, we heard that in El Dorado, Mike, the GM, is using kind of the analytical capabilities in order to really address the operator arms issues, etc. Can you can you like can I try it also in my refinery? Can I try? so it, it became kind of a pool after they sure. saw the success of their peer. Everybody yeah. wants to be successful, right? And that's a good motivation. Everyone everyone wants to be successful after right. they work somewhere else. And that's good. That's a good thing. Right. So yeah. now I'm dealing with you know, they're willing to pull. And my, so my issue now is delivery. It's not convincing. Mm-hmm. And it's a great thing, right? It's a great mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and, and, with, and with that, we kind of build this train of success here that allows us to kind of control just maybe the priorities or mm-hmm. the capabilities or the, the executive capabilities rather than trying to convince people, hey, I think it's a good idea. Maybe it will work out for you as well. So, sure. you know, you. I have to find this GM, right? Mm. That will believe in this. So we yeah. have individuals that told before that will be engaged yeah. for this process. But you said something that I think is so really critical, and I think it's it's you know, Patrick, we were talking about this and we were saying, you know, the only difference between an ice car and, you know, and, and an electric car is that you can run yourself into a tree that much faster, right? Everything looks exactly the same. Um, and if you stomp on the right pedal, it's going to go much faster than you expect. And you're going to, you know, and so the fact that you had the insight uh to eat the elephant one bite at a time. And and, and you're talking about an environment that it's really, really easy to try to do it in one bite, right? Because it's the cloud. And I was thinking to myself, just imagine what it would have been like to implement any kind of project of this kind of scale in a physical world just the mere timeline to get the devices, the computers, the cert, whatever, all purchased, distributed, configured, right? That in and of itself would have forced a holding of the reins, right? Uh, and eating that elephant one bite at a time, simply because you couldn't eat it all at once. Where with cloud and the ubiquitous connectivity, and it it's right at our fingertips. Everybody goes out and tries to do it. And I think you're you're really hitting on a a key point that people should really take heed to. The success can be much greater by controlling it. And whether you want it or not, and I think you want it, you're in the cloud already, right? So many of your applications are already SaaS based. Sure. You're already there, right? All the, the integration. So it just makes sense that you yeah. See it not as just an opportunity. You see it as something constructive of your infrastructure. Infrastructure in order to be more and more resilient and more. You know, we talk about always even disaster recovery and backup capabilities. We talk about yeah. cybersecurity. So how do we address it, right? So the two approaches is the preventive mode and also the one that all right, it's already in. What 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 are the implications? What can we do, right? And with yeah. the cloud is, you know the. The mainly it's about the backup and, and, and the R capabilities, and, and this is exactly what cloud really contributed to with 
with uh, this distribution of, of data and capabilities to um, to work with that in, in, in the situation of, of disaster recovery. I'm yeah. just saying, you're there anyways, yeah. whether you chose right. it or not. So yeah, I'm just right. elaborating that, and it will help me, by the way, to, to do uh, greatly another thing. The one thing that uh, the traditional IT used to do is, of course, more work in a way that you have your project and then, and then you finish with it. You go live and that's it. There's no such thing anymore, right? It's all about the versions. How many versions did you have since right. you go live? Iterating over and over. And right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so, I mean, focus your efforts on, you know, the application side, on, 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 on building new and new capabilities, allowing more and more capabilities to your organization. And don't deal, try to build the least on your infrastructure side, which, which enables that. So, so utilize the fact that somebody else is doing that for you in a, in a much more kind of standardized way, as we discussed before. And mm -hmm. once again, as you mentioned, the main challenge here would be to see that all the pieces of the puzzle are constructed correctly, right? Security-wise, data-wise, duration-wise, mm -hmm. uh, but all the rest, of course, it's, it's for granted. For me, it's for granted. Was that was that a harder sell in a more traditional um, industry? Right, for sure. You know, I, I spent some time in, in in Calgary and worked in some oil and gas, and noticed it was although there's a lot of uh, revenue and there's a lot of opportunity for you know pr a lot of modernization. There seems to be, at least in my experience, there seems to be a little bit of hesitancy there. I wonder if that's changing over time. It, it is changing, uh, but not. I mean, not dramatically. Just think of the locations themselves and think of of the the traditional in this industry, right? It's all about safe, reliable operations. So whenever you bring something new or right. something kind of shiny into the into the business, they, they look at it in a way that, hey, is it going to jeopardize us, right? It's yeah, all about as safety. As they should, right? With Like you say, with mission-critical systems, yeah. By the way, sure. they realize as well, right? It's about safety first. Yes. But it doesn't mean the technology is your enemy. It's just your neighbor, right? So it's better to write uh, permit to work uh, digitally. You can do it on paper. But if something happens or if you want to track something, go to find the box in, in the warehouse number five on the, the third row of this permit that was issued, right? Hmm. Um, same thing with the airplanes and the maintenance plans. Go figure out when you try to sell your 737 Boeing, where was the inspection made in piece number 35? Let's, let's wait for the box. It was shipped hmm. to another city, right? So it's all about, once again, maintaining safety, safe, reliable operations by doing much better through support of digital enablement and not, in, uh, um, you know, it, it jeopardizes any, any uh, um, process in order to do so. It enables our process to be much better. You know, you saw the, the drone example, right? Yeah. We can see things now if, if it sneaks or it's something else that, that human could not see before. We use OGI, right? So it, it allows us to see gas leaks that you can never see as 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 a, as a person, so you can say I can put fixed cameras. That's 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 one improvement. But I can put a drone. So whenever I need it, whenever I have something that uh, that I think I want to walk someone through the process. If you have a fire, you can walk with the drone and walk the team that is actually doing something, trying to, to cut it off, pull it off, and really walk them through the process. And, and that allows us to build a different operationalization mode. For example, now, this week, we had an historical moment, as you read in uh, Grant, yeah. uh, that we flew a drone in Arkansas from, with a pilot, drone pilot that was here based in Nashville. So just imagine the skills and the capabilities of the headquarters to really support the assets 
in reply to this high in the sky program. So think it, think, oh, it was not, you know, it was not available 20 years ago. It would not be, uh, it would not make sense. Just people would say, hey, I don't need those flying objects here. It would just jeopardize my operation. No, it would make it more safe, reliable, and would yeah. be part of the operation that would support your business as it was. I think uh, it's a it's a fascinating example of the, you know, the world of OT, IOT, kind of that whole new world. I was watching a story this morning. I think it's fascinating that, you know, there's technology that hears gunshots, right, and is able to pinpoint where the gunshot came from. It's expensive, but cities can invest in it. Fires, right, which are a big problem in my part of the world right now. They've now got this technology. It's uh, very similarly to, uh, uh, you know, mammograms and machines can just see yeah. those variations so much better. They're able to detect the beginnings of the smoke and fire miles and miles away, much better than those guys sitting in crow's nests, you know, uh, with their with their binoculars mm -hmm. yeah. scanning the landscape, you know, and, and why, I just why dealing with the heat of a fire, right? I just, right. Said, just think of it. You are you are in that moment. You need the remote help that will assist you in a yeah. calm way to support you. It's just the same way as the army goes, right? The support that you get from the back is yeah. the support that, that completes you. It's not yeah. the same, it's not the one next to you. It's the one supporting you in yeah. ways yeah. that you cannot support yourself. Yeah. If you have those layers of support, then you become a better individual at the, at the front line. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you just have more and more people in the front line, but nothing adds value. Just yeah. more, you know, gunpowder. That's it. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I so, think, Brad, you know that the, the the more we we get into this, and the more value that is being created, I think it, it becomes very easy. Not only to to implement that and to get the cooperation from the business, but also really to see it on the bottom lines as well. Yeah. Right? When you start to see this value creates on the bottom line of the company, nobody talks to you anymore, right? You just yeah. ask you what what's the next, what's next, what's next. It becomes kind of yeah. and and I think even in the traditional industry, it even even comes to fruition much better. Because when I used to work for software companies back in Israel, like Vertalix and Amdocs and maybe the ones that you know. It was part of the culture, right? You build more and more. To, it's, it's a software company, so it's far easier to to innovate. And but let's you know work on an airplane, right? Work on a set of box. Work on on a, yeah. a, a refinery. That's the biggest challenge. And and over mm. there, once you succeed in something, it's so significant that uh, you have a good story to tell. Mm. Well, I think it's. I I love to hear you talk about how you look at things differently when you when you get all that data you know earlier you mentioned you know that with all that data it, when you start to look at it differently that's when it starts to trigger different ways to use it uh, to employ it uh, uh, to take advantage of it to almost weaponize it in ways in terms of for your business and your industry because it makes you more nimble it makes you uh, able to react more quickly and that's the name of the game right and you know Grant that sometimes when you move from different industries there's a lot of advantages in being 25 years in the oil and gas 
You are you are a subject matter expertise. You, nothing will replace you on that. Yes. Sometimes you're too captured in your own. Uh, you're your myopic. Own. Yeah. yeah. So I'll give you two examples, right? When I went from the telco to aviation, in the aviation we had the loyalty program, right? Mm-hmm. And in the telco, we used to work on recommendation engine, right? So you like this movie, so you're probably going to like this movie, you like this series, people like you are watching that series, etc. So you build kind of nine different machine learning models to, to say what will fit Grant in terms of the um, um, asset selection or movie selection or series selection, yeah. etc. Mm-hmm. You can take the same assumption and same kind of models and what would fit Grant as a loyalty program um, member, frequent flyer program member, and what would fit him and his, uh, you know, um, credit card to be a credit card, you know, uh, intents and uh, uh, accrual points and redemption of points. What what can fit you? You can pretty much use most of the same mm-hmm. um, models and think of it that in some cases, I used to work in the fraud prevention mode on, uh, um, uh, department on uh, the tier one banks. You're looking for anomalies, right? Because Providence always changed their ways. So anomaly detection is far, far uh, stronger than just uh, rule-based uh, fraud uh, prevention. Right. And think of those anomalies. I use this pretty much the same models for uh, predictive maintenance because whenever there is an issue, it's not always the same route that would create this issue. You have many kind of anomalies that you want to detect. So utilize, utilizing the same machine learning models on predictive maintenance models in the oil and gas refineries are so so you take different you know kind of aspects of different industries yep. yeah. and make it better in other industries as well there's no question i mean i've always believed myself personally i have i'm i'm a i'm an anomaly in this <laughs> industry I, I, I guess i could just say i could just put a period <laughs> at the end of the word yeah um but you know, I mean, a high school diploma. You know, I fell into this industry and couldn't spell computer. Um, I was just ima- I was just remembering the very first time I carried home that Apple IIe and I opened it up and I was so afraid I was going to ruin it. And so I opened the lid and you know, first thing it says is touch the power supply, so you ground. And I'm like, I mean, I just I'm thinking back and remembering it. But my point is. Because I was never formally educated on computers, computer science, and all those, I've always just kind of had a different perspective. I've looked at it differently than people that are uh, trained differently, and I, I think it, it's been a, a benefit. Um, sure, Definitely. sometimes I have to sit in the back of the room and you know remember what Abraham Lincoln said. You know, better to remain silent and thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. So, you know, there's been those instances. But, I mean, seriously, it's really, I think, in many, many ways, because I, when computing technology was coming into the world, you know, the it was still not really looked at as a business tool quite so much. And because I never really cared about how it worked on the inside, I was just amazed with what you could get done. And to me, learning Dur slash was not getting done. To me was when the Mac came out. 
Now, I know it was 128K toy at the time, but mm -hmm. that really appealed to me because I, you know, I've said for years, Ito, I would buy in a heartbeat if I could go in a plastic bag like this one and buy a hole for any surface, one inch hole, 1995. Take it out and just put it wherever you want it and boom, I have a one inch hole. I'd do it in a heartbeat, so would you. But you know we have to buy a drill. We have to buy a drill bit and we have to buy a ladder and a level. And, and the whole, the point is, I just saw the hole that could be made with these amazing tools. I didn't give a shit about all the other stuff you had to have, right? And, and I, I think that that has enabled me to kind of just always look at it a little differently. And I love how you're taking an amazing discipline of business intelligence and data and data analytics and really leveling it up in a way that, uh, you know, I've, I found this conversation fascinating and it just has opened my eyes to thinking about every bit of data that comes into an organization. You have to really assess, is it make sense to, does it make sense to standardize that or is it okay to let it just float around, right? I mean, I can see how every data, every bit of data could, could be considered in that light, right? There should be kind of, because it could later, you know, as you were talking about lineage, the impact it could have. And I, again, you know, uh, and obviously this is bigger companies, right? Large organizations, diversified companies. But to refer to what Patrick said before, right? So what would be the right way to address it? You have to remember one thing that I didn't mention before. You are not the center of the story. As the data leader, you are the, the one, uh, you know, making the kings, not being the king yourself. So if your peers, your BU leaders are going to become kings mm. because of what you do for them, this is your appreciation moment, right? Mm. You don't need mm. to be the king. And sometimes, you know, CIOs, we tend to kind of be confused. The technology is the one that is, uh, is there for its own use. But it's not. And I always repeat that as part of our values. We are the enablers, right? We should push forward. We should give example. We should bring in more and more initiatives. I was presenting the Gen AI. Remember, Grant, that you talked about? Yep. I yep. was presenting some use cases of Gen AI that was in the, you know, in, in the market, in the world, to the board of directors six months ago. Three months ago, I presented them more things precise for oil and gas. In the recent board of directors, I presented the Gen AI use cases that we are doing here in Dell mostly around, by the way, uh, cybersecurity. Mm. For example, a re recent uh, phishing drill that we did was with Gen AI, was generated by Gen AI. The recent mm. uh, policies, summary and summary, was generated by gener generative AI. The recent uh, you know, code uh, generation, uh, generating uh, code outside, just check for anomalies within emails, etc. We brought the code inside after inspecting it, because you're not gonna, release your data outside, right? So you bring the code inside after verifying it and you do those tests internally. So it saves, instead of doing a, a work of 15, 16 hours, you do it for like in three minutes. So mm -hmm. just think of how efficient and diligent you can be by utilizing those technologies, but still, you're not the story. You are the enabler 
of a yeah. much bigger story. And yeah. let's not yeah. forget about it. We always kind of tend to put technology here. No, even Microsoft, as big as it is, is just enabling business to be as big as they can be. Yeah. Right? And, and we should never forget that the technology people. Yeah, I agree. It's I agree. it's the whole. It's not the drill. It's yeah, not the drill right. bit. It's the yeah. whole. And, and and I love your uh, you you. This is consistent with how you've been talking. That your focus is not. It's not about me. It's about you. It's not about what I'm doing. It's about what I can enable you to do. And I just think that that's a fabulous formula. And it comes out also in in what we were talking about earlier. You know, you're not a dictator. You have to do it this way. Yeah. Um, you're, yeah. uh, you're, you dance and have fun, uh, and people want to be part of that fun. So I think it's By awesome, way, man. I, I example to that, and I will, I will leave the technology piece of that. If you remember, we talked about kind of the, the army service, right, Grant? And I, I was privileged to be uh, a special forces guy. Yeah. And it was uh, on a voluntary base. You could leave whenever you want. But you want to be part of this success. It was harder. It was tougher. It was, you know, so many challenges along the way. Yeah. But you never wanted to leave this train of success. This yeah. train of pushing you to your limits. And you can yeah. always drop. You can always say, hey, it's too tough for me. I, I need to I, I want to drop. Navy SEALs. To... Same yeah. deal, right? Same deal. Same deal. Yeah. So I'm just saying, always build your motivation around want to be part of a group and want to be part of a success rather yeah. than... You are forced to be here. Otherwise, I will whatever fire you or whatever. It's, it's not going to work. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Wow. Well, I know we've had you for now coming up on almost an hour. And frankly, I don't know about you, Patrick, but I could probably talk to Ido for another couple hours about Forever. this. I, I, I found enough. it fascinating. Yeah. We had enough. That's what he's saying. No, no, no. <laughs> Listen. Hey, man, I'm serious. Uh, really fascinating. Um, I, I I love to hear. I, I'm, I'm excited because I'll be following you and see the cool things that you'll be posting Absolutely. and doing. Uh, and I really appreciate all your time, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Great seeing you again, Grant. Looking forward to seeing you here. And great knowing you, Patrick. You bet. Thank you, Vito. Yeah, I'll come and see my boy hopefully here soon, and I'll definitely give you a heads up before I do, okay? So hey, thank, thank you me. much. So hang on a second, Ido. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. Ido Bigger, CIO, Executive Vice President, Chief Data Officer at Delic US. Uh, wow, fascinating conversation. Surely has opened my eyes on data. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you share it with your friends, subscribe, and we'll look forward to having you on the next episode. So Patrick, great seeing you, buddy. Ido, yep. thanks again, my man. And uh, we'll see you all again here next time. Take care.